Welcome to the New Beginning Fellowship Church Sermon Podcast. We are glad you are listening to the teaching of the Word of the Lord. We pray that this message encourages you and builds your faith. We also pray that this message is only supplemental to your spiritual growth instead of being a replacement for daily personal Bible study, the pastor you should be submitted to, or the church God would have you to be an active member of. If you live within driving distance of Brobridge, Louisiana, we hope that you would come to visit us during one of our services on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. Service times, ministry information, and giving options are all located on our website at newbeginningfc.com or on our Facebook page at New Beginning Fellowship Church. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you. Galatians chapter 6, and this morning we're going to conclude with our study of the book of Galatians. We're going to finish it this morning, Galatians chapter 6, verse 11 to 18. And I say this to you as we uh, finish this, as I, I teach you in the next few minutes, just these closing remarks and ideas, we're going to take a few minutes and just give a summary of the whole letter and what the intent is, what the purpose is in Paul's letter to the churches in the region of Galatia. Galatia. And then for those of you that have been here all this time, you've heard, you've thought, you've processed, we've come into things we didn't expect and you know, trying to see things from a new perspective. If you have questions about that or something that the Lord has taught you or shown you uh, through our study of that, that maybe you didn't see that way before, but now that we've gone through the letter, that you've seen it and changed your view or feel like the Lord has given you more wisdom, or maybe as often is the case when we study the Word of God, maybe you come away with more questions than answers. Amen? And that's okay, because if you have questions, it means you're honest about you're trying to understand the Word of the Lord. And so at the end of the message this morning, we will spend some time Uh, give some time to question and answer. Amen? So, I know that if I finish this message and say, now questions and answers, uh, it will be a mad rush to try to think of anything relevant. Right? So if while we're talking, you remember something that we studied and looked at that you think, I want to ask that or talk about how my view changed on that as we studied this together, uh, you you can do that. Write it down so that you have it. Galatians chapter 6, verse 11 to 18. It is Paul's final contrasts, final contrasts and closing remarks. Paul says in verse 11, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they might not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. 
For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This morning, with Paul's closing remarks, he's giving final contrasts. Final contrasts. All throughout the letter, he has done this. He's given contrast. He's shown the law and the new covenant. He's shown Moses and he's shown Jesus. He's, he's shown us uh, the old way and then God's new way. He's shown them uh, all of these issues. He's shown them the contrast between himself and these Judaizers who are coming in and trying to persuade them that they need to keep certain minimal amounts of the Mosaic law if they're really going to walk with God. And so finally, he's gotten to the end of this letter, and he says, I'm just going to point out a few more things to you, and we're going to close. And it's a very personal note. Personal in his dealing with them, personal in dealing with himself, and personal in the way that he addresses and discerns the motives and attitudes of these ministers who've come to persuade them of another gospel. Amen? And so there's no way to avoid this. Dealing with church issues always becomes personal. Amen? Hallelujah? We can't pretend that issues in churches are only theoretical or doctrinal, or out there in the, uh, the ether somewhere, floating around, not attached to human beings. If there are problems in the church, problems in doctrine, problems in behavior, we must deal with the thoughts and ideas and behavior, but at the end of the day, the buck stops with us. And so it is people that must be dealt with. Amen? And so if there are false doctrines in the church, I can teach against those, but eventually I will have to address the people. Amen? If there are sinful behaviors happening in the church, I can teach about why those things are wrong, but if they're not repented of, eventually we have to address the people. If there is division and backbiting and arguing and usurping and all kinds of ungodly things happening in the church, you can deal with it doctrinally you can teach on it but eventually it comes down to hey you're dividing the church you need to stop or it comes into brother you're getting drunk and it needs to stop it comes into brother you're making women uncomfortable by the way that you hug them a little longer than you should it needs to stop i've had to deal with all of those And praise God, none of those people are here, so I'm not being passive-aggressive. Amen? Praise the Lord. The Lord forgives. We move on. But eventually, we have to deal with the people. Amen? And so if there are issues, eventually it has to be confronted. And so we must be careful in this because we cannot interpret the hearts of men. We cannot know the hearts of men, but we can use discernment to judge their actions. Amen? I can't judge your heart, 
but I can judge by what you're doing, saying, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the heart comes the issues of life. And if you are consistently portraying certain behaviors, I have to recognize that that says something about your heart and your motives. Amen? And so we have to deal with the heart. Amen? Praise God. Let's pray. Does that sound like a good start? Amen. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we tremble before it. We are humbled before it. And we ask You that You would give us understanding of Your Word. That You would give us humility before Your Word. That You would teach us to love it. To love it. In a day when churches are filled with sensuality and manipulation and catering to the carnal desires of people who want Jesus plus their flesh and their cultural ideas of what God is, we want to be people who want the Word, who want the Spirit of God, and who do not want a mocked-up, changed Jesus, but we want Him as He is. We ask You that You would teach us to bow the knee to this Word, to understand it and to walk in it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So Paul starts with the personal touch. Remember, this is final contrast and closing remarks. He says in verse 11, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Many people believe that this is one of the indications that Paul had really bad eyesight. So Paul says... Uh, in chapter 3 or chapter 4, that when he first came to some of these churches in the region of Galatia, that it was a trial for them, that he had a, an infirmity, he had a physical issue that made it hard for them to receive him. And then he talks about in other places how abused he was and how he had this physical infirmity. We know that in one of the places that Paul was going in the region of Galatia, he was stoned before he went to the rest of those places. And so it's very possible that this apostle evangelist shows up to preach and maybe he has a large swell on his forehead or on his eye and his eyes are bad. And so he says, you know that I have this bad eyesight and you want to know for sure that it's me? Look at the size of these letters. These are old people letters, right? Right? How many of you remember the cricket phone that uh, had the huge numbers on there? One, two, three, four, right? To make sure with the bad eyesight. He's saying, right, you've seen, maybe that wasn't very sensitive the way I said it. When people age, sometimes they have to write larger because their eyesight is bad and hand-eye coordination begins to go, right? I'm 34 and it's happening already, so I can imagine at 50. And so he says... Technically, I can't tell who any of you are right now, right? So you can imagine where Paul was in his 40s and 50s probably at this point. And so he says, see the large letters I'm writing with? This is a painstaking process for me. And yet I love you enough to go through all of the effort that I'm not going to just dictate this to somebody else. I'm giving the personal touch. I'm letting you know I have to do this on my own. This is so intimate and so personal. I've got to write this to you myself. And so he says, you can look at the letters and tell that I'm writing it. Now, maybe this was only the final closing remarks, or maybe it was the whole letter.
But the point is, he's saying, you can tell my effort in giving this to you because I'm writing it to you in my own hand in spite of my physical infirmities that are making this difficult for me. It was another note of Paul's personal investment into their lives as opposed to the Jews who showed up and are going, oh, you're Christians now? You believe the gospel now? Well, great. Well, now you need to be circumcised. You need to eat a kosher diet. You need to observe certain days. And then he says, we're going to make much of you so that you can make much of us. And so we're important. We're Jews. We know the law. We know the word. We really know God. We are God's chosen people. We're the important people here. And they show up and they put themselves on a pedestal. And Paul says, I'm still making yet another investment into your life when you are turning away from me. Do you see the contrast? One is getting and gaining and pulling and I've got to have you for me. And he says, I'm trying to give me to you over and over again, even if this is the death throes of our relationship Our relationship, if it dies, will die with me loving you. Amen? This is the mark of leaders in the house of God. There are lots of people that want your money. Lots of people that would have you as just another number in their seat or boast over you or whatever it is. But he says those people that are trying to be like Jesus, that have nothing to gain from you and only to give to you, you know that they love you. Don't be deceived. Don't be lured away. Don't be manipulated and abused. Because there are abusers. There are manipulators in the house of God who wish to take advantage of people. Amen? And so he says, I'm writing this to you in my own hand. And then he says in verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They want to make a showing in the flesh. Again, it is difficult. It is dangerous. It is something that you could be very much accountable to God for to judge another man's actions or his motives or his heart. But Paul is saying, I have experience with these people. I've repeatedly run into these people and I see the way and the method and the attitude in which they're interacting with you and by love, not trying to be self-righteous, mean-spirited, judgmental, I'm just letting you know here is godly discernment into this. Their motives are not right. Amen? That's the point. I can tell you their motives are not right. Can I tell you, if you, get, if you go to a church or a conference or a revival and they are asking you to get into a prayer line so you can get healed, and they've got a $1,000 prayer line or a $500 prayer line. I know it's funny, but it's not funny. It's not funny. I don't mean to scold you. I'm not trying to scold you. I know. I understand. I I would laugh too, but you think about it, it. It does happen. There are churches that are doing this. You know that? Just heard about one recently, a group of people that went to church in Texas. Their deliverance team went to a church that does deliverance so that they could get deliverance and they had to pay $1,000 a person to go for these deliverance services, right? 
So their, their theology is Christians have demons. And so if you're angry, you have an angry demon. If you're addicted, you have an addiction demon. If you're uh, struggling with pornography, you have a pornography demon. And so they are these specialists that you come to and they just tell you, you have a pornography demon and they cast this demon out of you. They're the deliverance team. They're the people casting demons out of other Christians. And then they're going to get their demons cast out. Why can't they cast them out of each other? They've got to pay? If you can't recognize that that's a swindle from hell, then you have no discernment. And any person that would tell you those people don't know what they're doing, no, it's, their, their heart is right. I'm telling you they're a liar. And they're trying to abuse you. Amen? And so we are called to make those judgments that these people are trying to take advantage of other people. Paul says in 1 Timothy, they are greedy for filthy gain, filthy lucre, filthy money. They are greedy. They want it for themselves. They think that gain, that that godliness is a means of gain. That godliness is gain. Or godliness is a means to get gain. They don't want God for God. They want to use God to get rich. So you turn on your television to your favorite evangelist and they stand there with $10,000 diamond cufflinks and say, give $100 for the children. Sell your cufflinks, bro. All right. He's telling them they have other motives for doing this. They have other motives. It is the ones who want to force you to be circumcised, they do it to make a showing in the flesh. They want to be able to boast to their Jewish friends. They want to come and spend time with you little dirty Gentiles that have converted to a Jewish Messiah, and we're going to go back and go, we got them all to get circumcised. Isn't that wonderful? We persuaded them, and they followed our rules. He says they only want it not only to make a showing in the flesh, but also so that they would not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Because the implications of the cross of Christ was the end of the Old Testament. It was the stamp. It was the seal that gave a verdict that the reason that this Old Covenant has to end is because none of you could keep it. And so Jesus had to fulfill it on your behalf. He's fulfilled it. He's completed it. He's put an end to that covenant and created a new covenant. This is the new covenant in my blood. You are not under the old covenant. And if you are not under the old covenant, then you don't have to keep the rituals and routines and ceremonies of the old covenant. And if you do that, there are people who would be angry at you. The Jews didn't want to hear that. They didn't want to hear that they were not law keepers. They want to hear that. We are the professional, moral, religious men. And Jesus says, you're a brood of vipers. You're whitewashed tombs. You're really pretty on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. And you don't want to hear it. And so you want me to show up and go, you guys are so religious and you've got it so together. And you know what? I'm the king and I'm going to bring the kingdom and everything's going to work out great. 
And so the cross of Christ is the offensive part. Can I tell you, it is still the offensive part. Because though there may not be people trying to get you to have a kosher diet or circumcised or observing certain feast days or certain of those laws, men make up their own laws. Baptist laws, Pentecostal laws, non-denominational laws, Catholic laws, all of these laws. And if you do these things, you'll be right with God. And the cross declares that God has done it on your behalf. Why does it declare that God has done it? Because God has declared that you can't. And self-righteous religious men will hate you for it. They will hate you for it. They will despise you for it. And so even to this day, when you preach the finished work of the cross, or you believe the finished work of the cross, you rest in the finished work of the cross, that Jesus has done for me what I could not do for myself, and reconciled me to God and given me victory in this life over every power of hell, through the cross of Christ alone, you are an offense to the self-righteous religious spirit. So he says they don't want to be persecuted for that. And so they want their Jesus, they want to trust Him, they want their Messiah, they want their Savior, but they're still trying to be a part of that Jewish crowd that rejected Him. Amen? Temptation's still there today. Get saved and still want to fit in with the people you came out from. You're going to have to be contrasted with this world. You're going to have to be willing to accept that there are people who will no longer want you in their circle anymore because you trust Jesus. And so he says in verse 13, For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. They don't keep the law. And I tell you, this may not be the point that Paul's making. Paul may not be making the point that they don't keep the law in that they... It may not be the sense of they don't keep the law because no one keeps the law. It may be the sense that Paul's saying these are self-righteous Jews who don't really follow their own teachings, right? Because the Old Testament talks about those who keep the law. doesn't mean they fulfilled the law. doesn't mean they did everything that the law commanded and expected and they weren't perfectly righteous, but they observed it. They did their best to follow the law. It's probably an accusation, much like Jesus made and Paul constantly made, that these men are holding up certain standards of the law, but they're not even genuine enough to follow all of it, right? And so don't get it twisted. Again, one thing that we've continually talked about is, yes, Paul's trying to tell us that we're not under the law, but we've painted all people who think about the law in the traditional Old Testament sense as these hypocrites, these terrible people who don't really love God. That's not always the case. Even today, there are people who really just struggle with, I can't understand if it was a command of God then, how is it not a command of God now? And they want to follow God and walk with God and they're confused by it. But that is not these people. Paul's accusation is, you're saying that you observe the law and you want them to do these ritual things, but they're not even really doing the other things that they're supposed to be doing, right? Jesus said to the scribes and the Pharisees, he says, you tithe mint and cumin, your spices, right? 
Are any of you that consistent? Do you go and get black pepper from Walmart, come home, shake out 10% of it, and then bring it to God? And he's saying, you are so calculating to make sure every detail, every nook and cranny is taken care of in that aspect. He says, but you forgot the way to your matters of the law. You ought to have done these without neglecting the others. And so the accusation here is probably that these people are not even sincere. They don't really want to please God. They're not even really trying to keep the law. They're just trying to keep the law enough that everyone in their religious circle is happy with them and they want you to do the same. And so he says, they do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Is this a petty boast? Right? You know what petty boasting is? People boast about things that don't even really matter. Right? I went, I passed through all grades without ever being held back. Okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, if you got held back, okay, but if you, you know, like, that's not accept. you didn't land on the moon, okay, Buzz Aldrin, calm it down, all right? You just did what everyone else was doing and you were supposed to do, you know, and if you didn't, you know, you keep working on it, you get a GED, whatever, but don't boast that, you know, you did this. And his point, it's a petty boast, right? I can do a layup, okay, well, Michael Jordan would be really impressed with you, right? And so, we got them cut off some skin. Yay for you. Yay for you. Aren't you wonderful? I came and preached the gospel and I saw dead hearts come alive. I saw God-haters become God-lovers. I saw idol-worshippers turn to the living God. I saw sinners become saints. But you got them to cut some skin off. Yay! Right? Petty boast. Petty boasting. They want to boast in your flesh. We got them to follow a ritual. They got circumcised. Listen to what Paul says. Verse 14. But far be it from me to boast in anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because the prophet says, the Lord will not share His glory with anyone. Amen? We're not going to show up to heaven and be like, hey master, you need to check out the good job that I did. I was killing it down there in your name. You will see Jesus and say, what an unworthy servant I have been. And if He declares over me, well done and good and faithful servant, it will be the last of the greatest graces He ever gave me because my works were only done in God. And so He says, I won't boast in my work. I won't boast in what I can do. I'm going to boast in nothing but the cross of Christ. 
Amen? Do you remember 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, where Paul is talking about these super apostles who think they're so spiritual and so powerful. And he says, do they have things to boast about? I have even more to boast about. And he says, I've preached consistently. I've been beaten consistently, shipwrecked consistently. I've seen so many people come to faith. I've suffered for the name of Jesus. But all of this boasting is foolishness. It's nothing I'm a weak, imperfect servant. So Paul says, I will not boast. I will not even boast in my preaching. I will not boast in my love for you. I will not boast in how good I've been to you. I won't boast that I've washed your feet and you're stabbing me in the back and I'm still coming back to serve you because the only good in me is Christ. And if I love you at all, it is because Jesus has poured his redemptive love into this wicked heart of mine. So you know what I boast in? You know what I glory and praise and celebrate? You know what we talk about and we get excited about? What Jesus has done and nothing else. Amen? That is why we boast. This is what we rejoice in. So that Paul says, there were not many who were great among you, not many wise, not many strong, not many noble. Why? So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is our boasting. It is our boast in Jesus Christ. And so he says that I won't boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Do you struggle with wanting the approval of the world, wanting the approval of people, wanting to be liked, tempted to be carnal, wanting to go this way and that way and be a part of the system? Then rejoice in the cross that put that carnal self to death. And it's crucified me to the world. The world is trying to pull me away, making me yearn and draw and be consumed by it. And I just go, I'm dead to it. I'm dead to it. And the world going, come here. Dead. You can't lure something that's dead. Amen? How many of you fish? You fish. Amen? You know, some fish have really specific bait that they like. They only like certain things. But man, you get that one thing in the water and they're on it. What you? Sakale, all right? What you, what you fish sakale with? Yeah? Well, you find that perfect thing that it is for sakale, catfish or whatever it is, and you let one of those fish die. Load up to the top of that water and you cast the hook in. And it's right there. And it's exactly what that fish wants. But it's dead. It's got no draw. It's got no appeal. It's not attractive because the appetite for it is gone. And he said, I died on that cross. My pride died. My vanity died. My love for self. I don't need the world's approval because I'm dead to it. I've been crucified to that world. And that world has been crucified to me. Amen? 
all of the affections that are still, because I'm dead to the world, but I'm alive to God. And so the affections that remain, that I can say, I have desires, I have yearnings, and I want certain things, but the world has been crucified to me so that it's been put on the cross and judged and given an ugly verdict, and it is there disgusting and condemned and judged and separated, and I look at it, and rather than being attracted to it, I'm repulsed by it. To be holy is not to love the world, but do your best to resist it. To be holy is for God to do a change in your heart where what you used to love now disgusts you. Amen? So he says, I've been crucified to it. It's been crucified to me. And the cross was the thing that did it. And so that is what I will boast in. And he says in verse 15, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Amen? That's what matters. Well, is it important? Paul, some of us are Jews. We've been circumcised. Paul, some of us are Gentiles. We've never been circumcised. Who cares? That's not what God cares about. What matters, what really matters, is a new creation. And if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. And all things have passed away and all things have become new. That's what God cares about. That's what God is wanting to do. And so Paul says in Romans that it is not the cutting away of the flesh. It's the circumcision of the heart. So that your heart would be marked by God. Not the circumcision made with hands. The circumcision made by the sword of the Spirit. Cutting away the fleshly tables of the heart. Making you sensitive and new to God. That's what God wants. That's what God is doing. And everything short of that is a failure How many of us have the structure and the form and the ritual and the ceremony and we lift our hands and we sing and we go to church and we get in the book and we read the book and we lay hands on and we pray and we do evangelism and we talk about Jesus and we play worship music in our home. We've got all the ritual and all the form and all the ceremony and God is looking at your heart going, if I could just get that new. If you would just be tender to me, if you would just be vulnerable to me, if you would let me come in and do something on the inside, that's what I do. That's what I do. I don't boast in flesh. I boast in giving you a new heart. That's what the Lord does. He says it's not the cutting away the flesh. It's the cutting of the heart. Will you open your heart to the Lord? Amen? And that's what the new creation is. And that's what Paul's point is to these Galatian believers. You have a new heart. You are a new creation. And you have come to know God. You've been adopted into the family of God. Born again. Forgiven of sin. Made to have right relationship with God. And someone has come into the child of the Lord and pulled them away from the Father and said, here's another way to get to God. And if you don't do it, you can't get to Him. And He said, you already got Him. 
You are a new creation. Live in sonship. Live as an heir of Christ. Live as forgiven. Live as indwelt by the Holy Ghost. Live as more than an overcomer. Live as dead to the world. Live as if the world were dead to you. Live in the freedom of Christ because you are a new creation. And you want to know what God wants from you? It's what you've already had that you've allowed the Holy Ghost to come in and make you new. Live new. Live new. Live new. Live as what God has made you to be. That's what God cares for. And he says in verse 16, And as for all who walk by this rule, as all, all for all who believe this, and this is the rule of their faith, that that's what God wants is a new creation, peace and mercy upon them and upon the Israel of God. Peace. No conflict all this bickering and infighting and issues in the church. This is not of God. God wants peace in His house, in His family. And the goal is always peace. Amen? The goal is peace and mercy upon the house of the Lord and upon the Israel of God. In verse 17, Paul gives this final contrast. His final contrast. And it may be his most personal and most potent. Amen? It says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. This is an old, war-torn soldier who has served his king and has fought his battles. And he's got his wounds to prove it. And he says, you want to talk about marks in the body? You want to talk about proving your devotion by a mark in the body? I've got marks for you. While you self-righteous hypocrites are on the sidelines playing it safe, trying to manipulate those that have already been brought into the kingdom of God, I have faced the brunt of a God-hating world and preached the gospel. And I've got marks in my body. And it's not the marks of circumcision only. It's the mark of a body that's been abused by a world that hates Jesus. And I'm telling you, I've paid my dues. I've shown that I not only love God, but I love these people and this drama that you're trying to bring into the house of the Lord. It's time to stop. You need to stop causing me some trouble. Because you're paying half a price right now. You're coming in the church, you're willing to be argumentative and petty and opinionated. Oh, the sacrifice you're making for the Lord. You're trying to get people to do it your way. Oh, so loving. I'm paying in blood. I'm paying with my life. And I love these people. And you need to get out of this church causing conflict. Either be here and be peaceable or get out. Amen? That's what he said. These are the marks that matter. Amen? These are the marks that matter. I've seen men boast in themselves. Silly men, arrogant men, cult of personality, right? You know, cult of personality, when people find a personality figurehead to put at the center of something, and they're amazing, and they're wonderful, and they're so impressive, aren't they awesome and cool, and it's all about them, and people go to churches because it's all about that preacher. 
right? They buy study Bibles because it's got that preacher's name on it. They go to ministries and conferences and all these things because that preacher's there. That person is there. They are so important. That's not what's important. What's important is serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, these are the true marks. Not 10,000 people follow us. Not we've got lots of money. Not look at our facilities. Not I'm so powerful and influential. Aren't my revelations deep and insightful? I've seen it in every camp. I've seen it in Pentecostal and Baptist, non-denominational. I've seen it in big, huge, seeker-sensitive churches. And I've seen it in churches of 20 people. And Paul's point is, all of that goes out the window when you're having to pay a personal price. Amen? Those are the marks that matter. And I can tell you, there are big name preachers that everybody knows about, and I wouldn't give 10 cents for them. And there are those of you in here who have paid in heartbreak and pain and grief and sorrows to love God's people, to be patient with God's people, to see the church grow and to see God's love poured out in this world. And I'll take you over a hundred of them. Those marks. They might not be in your body, but they're in your heart, aren't they? And he says those are the marks that matter. And so this petty, petty boasting needs to disappear. Tired of the conflict. Get out of here with that mess. Tired. Amen? Praise God. And so if no other reason, don't be contentious in the house of the Lord because we're already tired. (laughs) Amen? We've been through enough. If there's a problem, address it, confront it. Go to the individual, right? If there's an issue, deal with it in the most loving, simple way. But don't hurt the church. Don't hurt people. Don't be confrontational. Don't bring up a whole lot of issues. Why? Everybody's already tired anyway, man. I ain't got time to deal with that. Amen? That's what Paul said. Six chapters. I've been patient. I'm trying to address it. I'm trying to be understanding. But I'm just letting you know, your boy's already got enough marks in his body. Leave me alone. Amen? Don't trouble me anymore. Amen. How many of you have loved the church of Jesus Christ through awful mess and you just say, don't trouble me anymore. Amen. You've been through it. Amen. I know some of you are. You can raise your hand. You've been through it for the body of Christ. The fact that some of you have not given up on the church of Jesus Christ is a testament that God can pour his love into a heart no matter how many times it's been cut to a thousand pieces. And we can say together, I'm going to keep loving the body, but don't trouble me anymore. Amen? We done learned our lesson with the petty. Praise God. Keep it out the house. Amen? Isn't that what our parents do? My mom and daddy's here. Get out of the house. You're causing too much mess? Get out. Go outside. Come back in when you're exhausted, you're tired, and go to bed. Amen? Get out. Get out of here with that mess. And then lastly, he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He's just dealing with them. I know that your spirit's heavy. I know that you've gone through a lot, a lot and you need the grace of the Lord. The grace of the Lord be with your spirit. Amen. And so this morning, 
to summarize this book, this letter, Paul, on his first missionary journey, travels to all of these places, Antioch, Pisidia, Thyatira, uh, ministers the gospel, preaches Tyre, Sidon, preaches, sees converts born again, brought into the kingdom of God, suffers greatly for it, and at the end of it, returns to Antioch, tired, broken, just looking for a time to get away, a little ministry retreat. I'm just going to maybe teach a little bit and just go rest and pray and worship. And I'm going to let Timothy go get me some more water because I'm tired, bro. And I'm going to rest. And then I find out these other Jews come into Antioch and say, hey, if these Jew, Gentiles in Antioch want to get saved, they really want to be Christians, then they need to get circumcised. He begins to confront them, argue with them, debate with them, finds out, hey, they've not only tried to bring this in here to Antioch, they've brought it in every other church that I've been to in this region, and now I've got to fire off this letter to those churches and deal with it while I, before I go to Jerusalem for the Acts 15 conference of the Jerusalem Council and talk this issue out. And so he fires off this letter to deal with this issue. And the first thing that he tells them is he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He says, anything that you think makes you right with God other than simply receiving Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross is another gospel and it's taking you away from the Lord. And so he spent all of this time dealing with that issue, dealing with the law, dealing with Moses, talking about how beautiful, glorious, wonderful, awesome the law of God is, how beautiful it is, but how it was not intended to be the instrument that saves. It had to be Jesus. Amen? And so this is the point, as we've studied this letter, is that we are all one by the one. That we are all one people by the one gospel. Amen? Because that's what they were trying to tell them. Until you're circumcised, you're not really part of this covenant community. You're not really one of us. You're excluded until you do this. And Paul says, we are not excluded. We are not separate. We are not divided by race, by culture, by financial status, by age. We are not separated by anything. We are all one people through the one gospel of Jesus Christ. And there is no other gospel. Amen? And so this is what we must be faithful to. It is what we must be consistent to. It is the one gospel of Jesus Christ and maintaining the unity of the body. Amen? This is our goal. Praise God. Let's pray this morning. Lord, I thank you that you have given us one Jesus and one glorious gospel in his name. And it is Christ crucified. And Lord, you have given one church, no Roman Catholic church, no Protestant church, no Baptist church, no white church, no black church, no Hispanic church, no polka dot church, but one holy beloved bride that you are getting the wrinkles and the blemishes out of. And we are made one people by that one gospel. And we ask you that all of our hope would be in that one gospel and nothing else. We thank you. We love you. 
Help us, Lord, to walk by this rule. In Jesus' name, amen.